welcome everybody to our artist roundtable for Living Life Fearless. Uh, just wanted to kind of get everybody together and kind of talk about the current events and things that are happening, you know, around the U.S. and around the world, obviously. Um, but before we start, you know, just hope everybody's staying safe with all this pandemic and COVID and protesting going on. Um, you know, if everybody only gives a quick introduction to themselves for everybody that doesn't know. Uh, yeah, actually, let me, I'll start um, since I'm on the panel and uh, also by saying that um, I think that every artist on the panel here has like a unique perspective that is related to, you know, being a human being and, and the politics that are related to oppression and, and what other people say you're allowed to do in your life. And I think all of us sort of like struggle with society and sort of create work that sort of reflects on aspects of that so um i think it's really cool to get all these individuals together in a time like this and um chat about important stuff but i'm an artist doris walker um based out of brooklyn new york right now and uh yeah i'll pass it over to whoever wants to go next I'll go next. <laughs> My name is Sarah McDari and I'm also an artist. Um, and I, my work comes, is largely driven by my bicultural background, um, half Iranian and half American. But I grew up in Iran, which shaped uh, a lot of how I think and my life in the United States has been a trip um, and just trying to understand more about why things are the way they are and um, how, we, how we can harness this energy and focus it. Um, because I think just a, a, lot of, a lot of what is happening right now affects everybody and um, different people to different uh, variations but I think it's important for everybody to be active about it so um, I do it in my way in my lane with my work and my background specifically but um, yeah that's what my work is about a little bit okay I, I will go next all right so my name is Georgia Lale. I am an artist. I'm based in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm from Greece. I came to the States like six years ago. And uh, my work uh, has to do uh, with the global refugee crisis and I'm mostly making work referring to my um, family um, history of my forced migration. Uh, my grandfather was a refugee from Turkey to Greece in the 20s. And um, also at the last two years, I'm working on this body of work that is about uh, cancer awareness and uh, the human right to health care, uh, which is a very, um, big uh, issue in the States and especially now with the COVID we see uh, more of it like people don't go to the hospital because they don't have uh, access to health care but um, 
I think that's it. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm a little nervous. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, Marvin, you want to go next? Uh, yeah, so um, I am Marvin Ture. Um I am an artist uh, currently based in New York City. Um, my work um, kind of really is, is about visualizing an interior life um, affected with, um, by mental um, illness and, uh, and it's kind of and interrogating that and then also its connection with like the black experience. So my, you know, I also talk about like my cross-cultural identity of being an African-American, first-generation American. Um, my entire family's from uh, Cote d'Ivoire in uh, West Africa. And um, for me, I get pulling from my heritage, but then also this very, um, very specific upbringing of being West African growing up in the South, dealing with um, anti-Blackness from Black people, dealing with anti-Blackness from whites in the South, um, navigating that environment, and then also being uh, a Black nerdy kid, you know, who's uh, into uh, hip hop, but then also dealing with um, issues of mental health, mental um, illness and mental health, like, and uh, so I talk about that in my work. I use a lot of the objects of innocence, um, kind of like action figures, toys, and comic book imagery from my childhood in order to kind of um, use that as a threshold to be able to talk about these issues. Because um, a lot of times people, uh, when people see some of this uh, imagery, it's uh, disarming at first, but then to use it to talk about something that is a lot of times very painful and um, nuanced is, uh, you know, kind of where I uh, draw my inspiration from and kind of where I carve out space for myself in my art practice. Okay. Uh, Sasha, if you want to go next. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad for folks to take the time to be here and to chat. I'm currently at a park, so there's some noises. I apologize for that. Um, okay, yeah, my name is Sasha. My practice is a little bit all over the place. Um, but right now, I'm focusing on music and the subliminal messages that's within that. Um, social practice is a big part of my work. So norm before COVID, that was putting on events, um, conferences, retreats, parties, different social gatherings. And since COVID, it's been organizing with different collectives on actions that are happening in the Bay Area, um, and then also just um, supporting communities. So like right now I'm at a Black Healing Clinic and there's different practitioners here that are offering free services for folks in the community. Um, okay. So I'm excited to bring my perspective um, while I'm like on break from supporting this. All right, cool. Uh, Melvin, you wanna go next? Yeah. Yeah. I think you got him. Oh yeah, there you go. All right, there you go. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, hi, I'm uh, Melvin Harper. Um, my practice, um, well, it's difficult to say about my background and practice because the practice is it's kind of 
questioning the authenticity of what makes up your background and how you draw the roots of what constitute your um, race, heritage, um, and then how those things translate into a biopolitical identity that's exploited or uh, targeted. Uh, so I do that mostly through film and sculpture. Okay. And uh, Ventico. I'm Ventico. Um, I'm in a, a, I'm on a, a new discovery path right now with my work. Um, what I used to say is I decided to read my, my statement that um, I'm a conceptual artist working in photography, performative experiences, and social practice. Majority of my work is about identity and um, how do we determine what that is? How do we perform it? And um, I do that through my favorite are performances in the street and using my body often um, for photographic like opportunities. Basically I make sets, I'm naked, I have other people, I invite them in to make a demonstration in real time that we actually can reconstruct the narrative and the truths that we've been told, which are actually incorrect. Um, and another is I make wearable sculpture and sculptures out of milk cartons from a nursery school around the corner. I've been working on that since 2010, which actually, because my mom had cancer and that was the impetus for that like repetitive Zen work. And also um, just providing opportunities for true connection and the third component, the social practice also um, to echo Sasha, it's uh, I really love to create opportunities for people to shine. I think that's really, really important in the world. So, All right. well, I mean, there won't be any nude collaborative moments <laughs> happening with like tons of people in the near forever. So I have no idea what I'm gonna do now. So like, I'm just kind of, I'm free floating in the free fall. Yeah, it definitely has probably changed things for a lot of you guys. Um, but on top of all the pandemic stuff, there's also obviously been the current things going on with protesting and like racial justice and all these social causes that have been kind of tearing through the country and through the world in general. So I just kind of want to give, you know, just general thoughts and opinions from you guys. And uh, I don't know if Doris, you want to start things off? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff going on that led up to protesting. So it's like really interesting, just, uh, it seems like a bunch of stuff kept adding to it. So it like, it kept getting more fuel and it wasn't, it, it, it's like, it's hard to say um, that we're protesting about George Floyd. We're protesting for him and we are protesting for all the other black people that are essentially just overlooked and disregarded um, in situations that are similar and all too often recurring. Yeah. So Brianna Taylor, um, who was, you know, an essential worker. Um, so in the time of a pandemic and everyone rallying to support essential workers, a story like that comes out, um, which was buried because it happened before the pandemic. Um, or at least like the same week that a shutdown happened. So um, the way news trickles out um, and things like that, but it seems to all be coming to a head uh, based on the police officers. So we're really, 
we're not so much protesting just that people are dying, but that there's no consequences for when it happens mm -hmm. and we see it on camera or otherwise. So um, I don't know, maybe just I want to open up the floor to people to like what, what your emotions were just with just seeing pro the protests, just seeing protests because it happened worldwide, which is crazy. Um, yeah. So just like, I don't know. It's hard to, it's a good place to start because it's sort of like, you know, the most impactful and pending thing that's, you know, sort of surrounding it, the George Floyd situation and the, I keep saying his name, but, um, you know, there's so many other people. There was another guy, there's a bunch of people. It's just hard to, I don't want to keep rambling, but. Yeah, everybody can just hop in as they want, you know. Yeah, I think it's also very important that the protest is focusing on uh, police reform and how to uh, redirect um, the budget for the police, like defund the police. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, very important that it's uh, out there and uh, I believe that we can see a change with that. Definitely. If you're able to, make sure that you vote. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not able to yet, but. Um, oh, is my idea? Oh, yeah, okay. Good. All right, cool. So, I've had, like, I think a mix of emotions um, in this uh, current climate because there's nothing really current about this climate. Um, us getting gunned down in the street by our cops, us being, um, us meaning, you know, black bodies. Uh, Tony McDade is another person who, um, trans man who uh, was killed. Um, this isn't new. And like, I remember vividly marching for Eric Gardner, um, Sandra Bland marching for Trayvon, like being in the streets, even for just um, local things that would happen in Atlanta, um, being involved in, uh, activities to help our community, whether it was like sleeping out for the homeless to build awareness about homeless in, um, in, uh, in, in our neighborhoods or like doing or soup kitchens or, you know, talking about police brutality and, um, you know, walks and talks and all of these other things. I think the, 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 and why at some point now I find it hard to articulate the complexity of the emotions is because it's like it comes in waves like at times I don't realize how much rage that has been like accumulating and settling in over time I don't realize like how much heartbreak how much disappointment frustration um 
settles over time and it's just like becomes layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of emotion that a lot of times when you get heinous acts of tyranny like we've seen in the streets that happen those emotions bubble over and they burst over into what we have as like you know massive protests or looting rioting whatever have you um there's a an interesting kind of inflection point now where there seems to be a wave or a um, outpouring of support for black bodies. Um, and almost like a, a, a crowd of people have like emerged into amphitheater and have started to sing support for our bodies. And my response to that is what the fuck took y'all so long? Because during, like we're still in a global pandemic. Yeah. So a couple months ago, the news came out that um, black and brown bodies were disproportionately getting affected by COVID-19. And right. subtly under the radar, a lot of people auto automatically were like, oh, well, let's start opening this shit back up. It's not that bad. Mm -hmm. Months before that, it's still reality in America. Last year, it was still reality in America. 10 years ago, it was still reality in America. 20, 30, 40 some odd years ago, 100 some odd years ago. And I guess the questions that I have now for a lot of these corporations, a lot of these like people who are now allies is, is like, did all this have to happen in order for you to like see somebody else who didn't look like you as a human being? Like to understand how asinine it is for us to have laws on the books um, that prevent somebody from firing somebody based off of how their hair naturally grows out of their head like we have that that has to be a law in the united states that has to be a law why like that's not anything wrong with us you have to ask yourself what is wrong with you that somebody has to legislate that um the outpouring like cuomo in here in new york you know talking about putting laws more laws on police or to restrict police um, uh, uh, violence, more laws and more oversight. I think that's part of the issue, but this is like a people problem, not a pen and paper problem. And I think that we have to have a very real discussion about the ideology of white supremacy in this country and the ideology of how that permeates like every facet of society mm -hmm. and something as as macro as government systems to something as like micro and interpersonal as like dating relationships right like colorism like all of these things 
culminate in, a, in an idea, in a central idea of like, of white supremacy. And I don't know, I'm just in a moment right now of like pause because there's a, a, a rush to action that I think with, a, with an idea and a mindset towards black liberation is always a good thing. But I think coming from a, a, a part of like, of being an ally, I just, I, I, I question and I wrestle with these, with these, with these questions in terms of why did it take all of this in order for you to view me as a human being, for you to view us as a human being? Why did it take this? Why? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and I have like, what's wrong with you? So um, that's just the where my emotions have been. In the <laughs> no, no, that's that's a, that's a definitely. Not even the half of it. I'm, I'm well, glad you shared that with us for sure. It, yeah, that brings me to a point I wanted to like ask everybody kind of um, because there has been sort of a reckoning, so to say. Uh, a lot of companies, whatever, have been kind of either genuinely or in, or disingenuous, however you want to look at it, have been kind of reevaluating how they approach this topic and how where they put money towards. Uh, we've been reporting news basically all week about these big corporations putting together funds and initiatives towards like all these racial uh, justice and racial, you know, equality measures and, you know, and you could be skeptical about it, but it, the fact of the matter is that there are these companies actually doing it. And what I wanted to ask is like, is this happening within the art world? Because I know the art world also has their own issues with this and I just haven't really seen it being reported on any like museums or something like that with the way they collect certain pieces historically and you know I don't know if you guys have noticed that in the art world that things are shifting or changing or if there is sort of their own reckoning going on Thanks, I, mean, for sure. I think Sasha wants to tap in is her mic muted Dario oh, let me get her Thank you. There you go. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. I feel like my phone is going to die soon. But um, so I'm like really excited about jumping in. And Marvin, I appreciate you sharing just what's on your heart and mind because it's really important for you to do that. Um, so like I, I, I was really excited about sharing on the other topic too, just about like feelings in the protests and everything. Um, and I think uh, Marvin, you sharing just like how this is something that constantly has been happening. Um, it, and in the mix of the pandemic, it is very clear, maybe not blatantly stated, but um, I think a lot of people put together that folks are protesting in support of ending um, like the existence of police or police reform, but then there's also a level of people are out there to support the ending of capitalism or people are out because they're really pissed off about losing their jobs or people are out because they ain't seen nobody in four months and they need some human connection and they need some joy. You know, like while a lot of the protests are viewed as looting or violent, um, a lot of them are joyful. 
and there's a lot of music and there's opportunity to connect with people um, that may have same or different views as you. And it's just a big testament to um, that humans, we need each other. So it's an opportunity for people to receive that type of connection. Um, and the art world and like, I guess how the capitalism um, distortion of activism that happens, I've definitely, helicopter, um, I've definitely seen it in terms of like which artists are getting commissioned now and how a lot of, um, a lot of corporations and a lot of organizations are starting to reach out to black artists. I've heard a few folks get emails about like, oh my gosh, we've been following you for so long and we want to do this thing. And some of it is like, they know that there's fire under their ass and they need to fix the representation or lack thereof that they have. And I know at least in the Bay, there's been a lot of artists calling out SFMOMA um, mm. about their representation practices. Some folks have like, boycotted um like features that they were going to get that they're doing right now for covid um and i know there's a lot of different organizations that are receiving pull like pushback from artists um and folks that are like demanding certain things and something that i'm i've heard that's happening here in the bay area is that there's different museums that are planning on collecting um or auctioning the um, the protest artwork that people are putting up on all the boarded right I saw that too yeah and yeah I guess the Smithsonian political so um it it's probably different place different people in different places and I think that's an interesting component of like with all of the artwork that's being created right now in the streets um who has ownership of it is it the yeah. artist is it is it Black Lives Matter is it whichever movement that these people are connected to um or is it public domain and it's the people or it's the institutions da 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 um but just the interesting thing that I've been thinking about a lot in connection to the process art. Yeah, I've also been thinking about like the hierarchy and museums and how the staff is. And if you look at, you know, the, the directors are almost all white, the board members are all white, um, and then the curators mostly white, and then you come down and, and the security guards are black or the administration the ticketing people are black but it's even it's like written in their entire structure racism is writ written in it i mean i think like what and what marvin you were talking about i just think it's like written in the whole structure of this entire country but it's a lot of it is like considered to be normal or or you know just like a lot of people don't even notice some of these things and um a lot of the information that's coming out yeah. i think is trying to highlight all the misjustices that have been happening that people either considered normal or uh, unaware of or ignored willingly 
and and a lot of people are putting in a lot of work on making these kind of bite-sized information bits that is being sh uh, shared on social media, which is interesting as well. But um, I don't know, you can see it in the whole system. It's like, how do you go, how do you go about that? How do you go about actually initiating change beyond them just collecting black artists work or beyond just like a one single paycheck or one single project? How are you gonna, like equity, you know, that's basically what it comes down to. Like, how are you actually gonna make me part of the conversation in a real way and not just like, you know, use me as kind of your shield? Yeah. Yeah. I just thought about that while Sasha was talking. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that is, I think that is the main question. It's like, how do you, like, where do you go here from now? Like, people are aware, like, this is definitely the biggest bright moment I have, like, socially, civilly in my lifetime. So, like, it's like the main question. I was like, where, where do you head now? Like, where does, like, for protest art, like, where does protest art head now? with this huge moment that is going on. And I know all of you guys are involved in it in one way or another in like different causes, different forms. I just don't know, like, has this kind of influenced any of their artwork or the way you think about your artwork in the future and where it's gonna be heading? Um, I think, um, so I think in, in, when we talk about like, I, like protest art, um, it's really kind of like, I want to kind of break down like what, they, what protest actually is in terms of the context of protest art. Um, if we look at an artist like Emory Douglas, for instance, right, who designed a lot of the um, uh, imagery for the newsletters and the newspapers for the Black Panther Party. Um, in the action of doing it, Emory is offering his creative tools in a way, his hands to the revolution in, in that regard. It's not about a residency. It's not about artist statements. It's not about getting into a gallery. It's not about gallery representation. It's not about market driven. It's about I'm lending the gifts I have and what I'm good at to Black liberation. And I don't think that, I think the artwork caused that protest art, but for me, that's revolutionary art. And I think there's a difference. I think Maristani mm -hmm. also, who was a photographer for the Young Lords in um, East Harlem, mm -hmm. uh, in his capturing the actions and offenses that they took in order to, for their voices to be heard, in order for simple shit like trash to get picked up in their neighborhood, like the, the kind of acts that they, the, and actions that they took armed, that wasn't about him trying to show at Bogosian. That wasn't him trying to be at pace. That wasn't him staging that in, the National Portrait Gallery. Now his works are in the Smithsonian now, but at the time, it wasn't about that. 
And I think, and Doris and I and talked about it, also Sarah and I have talked about this a lot of times, like there's in the art world, I think a lot of times there's this slippage where artists come from a place, some artists come from a place of wanting to make work to speak to certain things, but it's the, the environment of creating that work within the context of, again, another white supremacist institution, which is the fine art world, is, gets in a slippery slope because you start worrying more about getting a New York Times article than about helping your people, right? Like, like to stage certain things in a gallery versus actually taking that shit to the streets or taking that to the people where it's actually needed. Um, those are two very different things. Uh, so I just wanted like have that in mind. Um, mm -hmm. To the earlier point about the art world, the problem with the art world is very simple, right? Um, I have a Sotheby's auction catalog here, right? This is from 2019, March, right? In two pages, it, I can show you what's wrong with the art world. <laughs> what's wrong with the art world? Right there. Yeah. This is an auction catalog from Sotheby's. I got another one from Phillips. It's going to show the same exact thing. This is what's wrong with the art world. Mind you, this is our team over Hong Kong, contemporary. Like, what are we talking about? Like, this is, this is what's wrong. We, the people who are making decisions about curating exhibitions, who are, about, who are making decisions about the, um, also on the financial end, because art, in, it's in the, in the context of the, of the contemporary art world, is tied with capitalism. Like mm -hmm. when we talk about creating a framework for other voices to have a space to speak to real issues, you're talking about a system that is run by people who inherently don't have your best interests at heart and who inherently only want to, like now, put your voices up when it becomes socially acceptable to. Like, you're not an ally if you only step up when it's not scary anymore. Because mm -hmm. right now, it's right now, it's more scary to be a racist. Even though people are like in the street or what, and all this is going on, stuff is on fire, all this other stuff. A lot of the protests are mostly peaceful, no matter what the, the uh, news says. But um, right now for a corporation, the scariest thing for them, the scariest thing for an institution right now is to be pointed out for racism. Mm -hmm. There's no stakes to stand next to, to be like, oh, you know what? Let's go this, let's go try to find a protest artist to put to to put in our in our show next week. Let's go find this. Let's have an auction for this, this, that, and the third. Um it's no stakes to it. Like that's like being in a relationship. You only love me when it's easy. Come on now. Like on a on a on a on a like what's um Damn, what's that that new edition song? Can you stand the, like like? Come on, like we're not doing it. We're not we're not doing it. We're not playing that game. But I'm gonna get off my soapbox. Yeah, and and I just wanna add on to what you're saying because it's it's um you know it's commer we're co commercialized like so they they're not considered about us as people are are the variations and stories that make up everybody. That's not what they actually care about. They care about what sells, 
what's going to sell, what's this narrative and what's the story that people are familiar with, that they're comfortable with accepting, uh, and that's going to sell, you know, that's how marketing works. And so now basically it's like, they don't really, or this is how it feels to me. It's like, they don't really want to give you a voice. They want to use you. They want to sell you kind of, and sell your vision. So it's, it's just all crap. Yeah, that 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 is also proven by the fact that there is not there is no healthcare for the artists. Like they don't really actually care about you having a sustainable life. They just want to sell your product and profit and based on the time, so like a specific uh, phase. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was actually talking a little bit. I mean, that reminds me of stuff like um, I was mentioning to Sarah about the uh, Black Lives Matter as a shield um, for stores, storefronts to be vandalized and how they're not really standing with us, but they, they put Black Lives Matter in the window so that their shit doesn't get stolen. And um, it was like just stuff like that would make me feel kind of a way like you know they don't fuck with us but like you know they're they're really trying to like i don't know just even stuff like that was like on that level of like weird using us to but just like in the moment right now so and i was just i don't know i still feel <laughs> weird about shit like that i don't know but i also think and I just want to chime in on this because um, when the boarding up first began, I yeah. saw the opportunity, as you know, to use it as a platform, right? right. Um, specifically for underrepresented Black artists and artists of color, you know? Yeah. And um, we have to make a living with our art, right? But yet we don't want to sell out our souls and our values to become commodified and part of the capitalist system, but we're already a part of it. So, and I've seen really, really well-known artists, you know, do that pushback publicly, but at the same time, they've already collaborated with brands. They've already done that, like big time brands. And so I'm not throwing shade or anything. It's part of the system that we're all a part of. So at what, like, how do we balance that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that becomes something that is like a really important conversation to have because we have to pay rent. I mean, Ideally, right? Or not ideally. But right now we're trapped in this society. So it's it's loaded, it's layered. Ultimately it's bullshit. But simultaneously it's I don't know. It's an important conversation to have. No. I'm trying to read these comments in the chat too. Yeah, I'm reading the comments already. Some of the comments are really good. Thank you for the comments. Yeah, uh, I, I just want to kind of move on a little bit. Like, I, I do see, like, some like artists like Doris. Uh, we currently have a online exhibition with you called Black Fathers Matter. And it's kind of you kind of retaking the image of, like, underrepresented people, like Black people in this instance, like Black fathers, and kind of taking it and moving it in a way instead of just, let's say, protesting something, kind of taking it and reinterpreting it and, like, uh, rebranding it, if anything, 
and mm-hmm. in a way an imagery that you don't typically see in like the mainstream mm-hmm. yeah i was i, I created that series because i thought you know because it's like we've been saying it's just it's always here you know and like it keeps happening and like you know we keep protesting and you know it's like let's let's see some positive images you know <laughs> like let's see like what normal happiness looks like or just an average day you know where there's no sort of expectations or pressure put on you know the black body so much as just them being themselves uh that's sort of like where that kind of work comes from but it's like you know like i remember actually melvin um your uh work that like compared sort of like the cop violence with like video games and stuff you talk a little bit about that because like i think there's a lot to be said about just like how we see images and like the things that happen every day yeah right um so i mean that I used to watch, uh, I was never really much into video games, but I used to watch my friends play a lot of video games. And um, I was always really fascinated when they were playing the video games and there was that screen that you could like um, go out to where you could see where your position was on the map or on the world or whatever game you were in. And I thought that was really interesting that um, the game, the game world has this conception that they're able to do that, that that at some point you know you can get this uh your positioning um in in a, in a total world um and so so they come up with this in, entire uh re-rendered world and they have to fill it with ideology um and it it just seems to me that that though the people that are doing that um that programming, the people working at those companies are kind of the, um, they're, they're of the faith of this current technocracy, right? They, they believe in the kind of the things of, um, yeah, I mean, that's a lot to get into, but of uh, the same kind of ontology as say like uh, Mark Zuckerberg or those guys, they, they have, a very specific way of looking at the world, right? Um, it's like this Catholic, Christian, um, but anyway, they, through them, and if you go to those companies, is there's not a lot of people um, of color doing this kind of work. I mean, especially here in LA, you know, all of this, these creative industries are pretty heavily whitewashed. So then they render this ideology through the game and you see all of this, this violence through the game and it's like supposed to be some kind of ironic um re-representation of the united states gone wrong and it looks actually like a much tamer version of the united states you know um and this pov that the cop sees um this this and and i think that's been one of the things that is it has upset me like like Marvin says it's so difficult to talk about this um, because you, you just moved in so many different ways because you, you know I can't I can't really remember a first racist experience you know it's just it's always been this way and then it's different degrees of it 
Um, and so, um, then this like white patriarchal hegemonic hyper capitalist inherited from like mercantilism uh that america is like what you have and and you have it like from every uh like sarah said it's it's really innate to the system it's how people got here it's how people established their wealth it's how um their ideology believes that they um their identity is constituted you know as as founders as pilgrims as um farmers you know not as like thieves plunderers rapists um slave owners that kind of thing so i think that the problem you that you're dealing with is that it is innate to every part of the structure you, you know like getting rid of the police is a mission in itself and then politics is next then you have this crazy healthcare. then you have this crazy work system uh with like five days all for profit or the whole thing is just very badly constructed and inefficient and uh i think it for for it to work it needs to identify you it needs to give you an identity so that it can sell shit to you and that's what's happening right now is that um target or what watch wendy's next um any of these places they uh there's profit in being pro um people of color at the moment there's money to be made um and i, I don't i I'd be fooling myself if I thought it was some kind of benevolence, because again, like Marvin said, like we've been here so many different times, um, that the only really diff real difference now is that it's sort of fashionable to be to put that on your Instagram right now, you know, or to black yeah. out your Facebook or something right now. Performative allyship. Yeah. Yeah, DC, like many differences between here and let's say like England and the way, you know, the conversation is going and or, or has been had? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the most um, it's ever been in England. That, that That's the truth. Um, I had this white professor, he was English, and he told me um, that he thought that racism was just as bad in England and Europe, but it was just there's not as many brown people so it's not as big a deal um it kind of gets swept under the rug and that's how my childhood was like i, I was like it was like five people that were black in the town that i grew up so that's what i'm saying i never had a first racist experience it was just all the time hmm. yeah like I, I think this issue it's not obviously right now it's really about you know the black experience and black color but it's not just with you know the black it's not just a black issue. There's also like, Sarah, you also have your own exhibitions where you, you know, you have the hijab out in public and you kind of capture those responses. I don't know if you feel like that also needs to be part of the conversation going on right now because there's also I think that. it already is. I mean, the, for the way I kind of see it is that, like I said in the beginning is that, um, this movement of Black Lives Matter, it affects everybody. And 
And for me, my personal relationship with it is that I've actually gained a lot of strength from it in how, in how to deal with living in America as like not the norm, ideal, whatever version of what they say you're supposed to be. And like when I moved here as a, I think I was like 17, I didn't understand what was going on around me. Like I didn't, I didn't understand why everybody, like uh, Melvin said, had specific labels, like, and they all dressed in their specific label in high school. Like you would go to the lunchroom and everybody was in their own group and they were very specifically labeled. They dressed, they listened to music, they talked a specific way, and they were all very much like these caricatures of themselves, I guess. And, uh, um, like that was just very weird to me and I didn't really understand where I fit in it. And I guess what's brought me to this place is realizing that my narrative has never been told as a mixed person um, with my experiences and, and people almost refuse to believe it or listen to it because it's so far off from what they're normally you know, used to when thinking of like an Iranian or a Muslim or, you know, like you get like, well, you, well, you don't look Muslim. You don't look Iranian. I don't know what that means. You know, like, um, there's just been a lot of, you know, these types of experiences. Um, and, you know, obviously I have my own privilege. I, I don't have an accent, which allows me a lot of, um, space i'm light lighter skinned so that i can get it into places that like my father had a problem getting into um and like you know just seeing all that growing up um and then becoming more familiar with like writing and books that black activists especially women uh have written and then seeing that be like applied and how much I re couldn't relate to what it is. And they're, they're like almost guiding you through how to get through this a little bit. And just like my experience with my friends, I mean, the people that opened their arms up to me were all people of color or black people or gay and lesbian people or fat people. Like they were all in some way being marginalized. And I guess, yeah i think this conversation already applies to me like i don't think that we need to uh veer off any in any specific way or, or another it it all is related and mm. um we're all are like like i don't know melvin you were saying or marvin but like you were saying that mm, you know we're all working this working in this system and um only a few people at the very top are truly benefiting from it, but the rest of us are getting the shitty end, you know? And I think if we could like somehow band together, <laughs> we could take over. <laughs> but like, so I feel like um, there's a lot of people who feel these things very real and are going through it. And, and if we could somehow harness this energy um, yeah, so that's how I feel. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, the big question, like, how do you keep moving forward? And I think, as we've seen, this isn't just a, 
an American issue. Uh, the whole world is basically, you know, out in protest right now. And it's basically a global issue. And Georgia, I kind of want to touch on some of your work and your experiences. And, you know, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that and how, you know, you a lot of your work deals with like forced immigration and, you know, refugee work and stuff like that, especially coming from like Turkey to Greece and stuff. Yeah, there's like, the, the global refugee crisis is not over. I mean, it's not, it, it hasn't been in the news for the last two years as much as, as it used to be, but it's far from over. And uh, people live in terrible conditions in all over Europe, uh, Greece specifically. And now with the quarantine, refugees will arrive and not, they will like have no access to any aid. They will just like let them be on beaches um, in uh, when the refugee crisis started in Europe in 2015, I did the series of uh, public performances called Hashtag Orange Vest, uh, where I created like small uh, visual protests. The biggest one was constituted by like 30 people, where everybody was wearing a life vest and black clothes in the memory of the people that lost their lives trying to cross uh, over in uh, Europe. And uh, it was a very <clears throat> uh, interesting experience. And uh, again, I many times I came across people telling me that like, oh, the refugees that are arriving in Greece, they don't look like refugees, they're fat, they have good clothes or comments like from professors at, uh, at school that they will be like, do refugees perform their trauma? Oh, wow. Which I found, it, I found it very offensive. Like imagine someone saying like, oh, Black Lives Matter, um, Black Lives Matter activists, do they perform their trauma? Yeah. And what it really uh, sacked me during uh, those protests right now in the midst of a pan pandemic is that uh, we are so fed up with the situation and the, and the racial injustice in this country that, uh, and especially the fact that it affects most, like affects a big, uh, num big numbers in the black and Hispanic communities People were like, what's the point of staying in, not to get affected and die from a virus, if I'm going to die by police brutality? It's like one way or another, like it's better to go out and protest my rights, even if I get the virus and die, than staying home and die like three years later by a cop somewhere. And it's, it's very interesting for me because coming from Europe, I came from a totally, from a different reality. It's not totally different, but it's a different reality. So um, there were some like black people uh, around when I was growing up. We had like one black kid in the whole high school. Uh, I didn't see much of racism, but probably I wasn't exposed to it because of my community and the way I was raised. Uh, I saw a lot of um, uh, bullying towards people that look different, like physically different, which is not yeah. much of a difference. And um, 
then when I came here, I was shocked by the racial injustice and racism and by the fact that there's no uh, universal health care. And then as creatives, we are expected to create art and make statements so institutions and collectors can profit from us and from our work, while at the same time, we're, we're totally exposed to uh, poverty, to disease, to racism, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find that very interesting, like the differences in cultures, especially like the US and Europe and like Marvin, you have, you are a man who also have that African kind of background and you know, my when you're from London and Terry, Iranian, like, I don't know if you guys, how do you guys like marriage those two worlds together? Like when it comes in terms of like your artwork and stuff like that? Still trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, that, oh, go ahead, Marvin. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that I, I think that the, um, that was what informed the, the way that I make art and how I even began really that um, I, I was looking for an identity because the, you know, English white people didn't accept me and black American people didn't accept me. So I, I was, and, and both of them kind of, thought that I was playing for the other team, so to speak. Um, like, I, 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 oh, you're actually half white or you're, you're actually half black. Um, but you're only ever black, you know? Um, nobody takes that. I never got pulled over and the cops asked me to step out and they're like, what is your heritage? And I told them half white and they're like, oh, well, get back in the car. You're fine to go. Um, <laughs> people just see it, you know, as, as uh, face value. So I. I trying to find okay so so i'm so i'm i'm half american half english well well my mum's a quarter welsh and then she thinks her dad's american but then then her family that are welsh they're really celtic well if they're actually celtic then they're teutonic right so if they're actually teutonic then they're from africa so i i don't I, I didn't know where to draw the line and it seemed really arbitrary for me to say that I'm this or I'm that. And the same goes for a gender as well, you know, that, that somehow me being male means all the same things as like I'm monogamic, heterosexual, uh, you know, this kind of fidelity, all, all of these things get wrapped here. And, and I think that's one of the most unique things about capitalism is that far from being the the numbers game that it makes out to be, it's actually something that pretends to be something else, you know, and it has all of these mystic back channels and occult ways of working. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think for me, um, I definitely have used my practice in a while to kind of try to suss out some of the more, I guess, complex kind of ideas of like a sort of cross-cultural identity it's 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 been i mean growing up in america and it's all about labels it's all about positioning yourself like what what are you 
where you like what box so somebody else can know how to treat you like who where are you from uh and what's your religion religion all of these things so for me i growing up like half my family coming up half my family's catholic the other half was muslim i'm in a mostly black and latino neighborhood my father um speaks Spanish, French, and English fluently, and our native language of uh, uh, indigenous language of Jula. Um, my mother and my father both come from two different ethnic groups, two com completely different ethnic groups um, in the same country that speaks over 60 some odd dialects. Um, and and then in and then in Atlanta like it's it's like oh i'm growing up in dekalb county but then it's just like there's all these divisions when you start to figure it's just like okay so where am i from like that's the question where home was was for, for me constantly i think um that question that came with identity because that was what i was most focused on was like what's home for me right what's who are my people um, because everything almost felt like a part of me, but not fully where I felt at home. And Atlanta felt like home, but not quite. My, half my family's in Maryland. I spent that in vacation in the DMV area. That felt like home, but not quite. When I went to the Ivory Coast for the first, for the first time, um, I remember stepping off the plane and it was, there was like a grounding feeling. Like I felt, it's almost like I felt gravity for the first time stepping out of that plane. Like I've never, almost like I've been on the moon this entire time. And when I got off the plane in the Ivory, in West Africa, it was just like, boom. like there was a certain kind of, it was, a, it was like a physical experience, experience of feeling rooted to the soil. But even then it still didn't feel like home completely. And I think in, all of this search and all of these exterior elements of where home was and who I was, the realization came when I journeyed inward and I started to look at myself like home is wherever like I feel safe, wherever I feel loved. And I think when you break down a lot of these more complex issues to like which I do often in my work to, to just like on a human emotional, like kind of just day-to-day -day level. When black people are talking about stop killing us in the street, that's, that's me saying, I want to feel safe to go outside. That's, me saying I want to feel okay to just be me in in public. I want to go outside and breathe air without feeling threatened. I want to be able to jog. People jog for people to have like children. I want to be able to raise my children. I want to be able to walk my dog. I want to be able to bird watch in Central yeah. Park and be okay. I want to be able to like 
dress in drag and go to a fucking drag show and not be accosted in the street. I want to be able to, 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 no matter how the fuck I present to you in right now, to be like, address me as Zem, she, whatever have you, and you should do that without, without it being a threat to my existence. It, when you break it down to humanity, it's about, again, people just wanting to be treated and afforded the rights and privileges that they should be afforded for just existing. Like, you were born, you have life. Why do you feel the need to like impede somebody else's existence for what? All of this shit about like, like corporations and racism, all that other stuff, like the problem, like the, I'm not gonna say the cop's name cause whatever, but the, pro the, the, the issue in the situation of a cop kneeling on the neck of, of, of George Floyd, that yes, the police are over-militarized. Yes, the police departments in the United States bought a lot of the surplus, you know, got a lot of surplus um, equipment from the military and are heavily militarized and our, and our police are militarized to the point where our police force, if you put them together, could take on an army of, of another country. Yes. But the, the root, the roots of, of that, the root of that is there was a human being behind that badge who didn't see their equal in the person that they were, that they were killing on the floor. There is, when you see a bunch of like a mob of people um, attacking a trans woman in a in a on a in a in a gas station, it's because they don't see their equal in her. Like what? This is. It's like unless you're doing the daily ritual of ridding yourself, because what we were talking about earlier about like technology and and all of these things and all these people who create these things and they're almost imbuing the um, imbuing the their creative output with with their inherent biases. So when we're fighting against that, it's literally you're fighting against people's ideology and at the and at the root of that is everybody has to take accountability for that structure that's in them like unless you wake up every morning with an with with the the mindset to rid yourself of white supremacy because you're being conditioned every day it's in our media it's in the music it's in everything unless you're doing that as a daily practice You can march in the street, you can do all this like putting up posters, you can wear the shirts, you can wear the hoodies, you can say Black Lives Matter, you can uh, you know, support black and brown artists, but unless you're doing the work interiorly, I'm, you're doing work on the interior to rid yourself of that, you're not really safe to be around. You're not really, you can't be, counted on to be an ally. You can't be um, trusted. So it's really down to just the simplicity of understanding that it is a, like all of this is just, is nothing but like exterior representations of like, of like how 
the collective consciousness is under a white supremacist patriarchal system. Like this is what it is. Like uh, you have to get to the point where you, where people understand that this is a like a personal thing first. You have to journey inward and rid yourself of that. It's almost on some like extracting somebody from a cult and, and deprogramming them from this conditioning. Like you have to do that work. Everybody has to do that work. Because literally, if you look at everything, everything, it's, in, it's everywhere. It's like, it's, it's everywhere. It's in dating apps. There's a reason why black women, like, don't, black women statistically have, like, really, like, poor statistics on dating apps. It, there's a reason for that shit. There's a reason for colorism. There's a reason for, um, for like, all of these, these other things that we think are, like, outliers. Oh, it's just racism. Oh, it's this, oh, it's that. Like, it's all rooted in something. So unless you attack the root, which exists in everybody, you don't really solve the problem. All of this shit is just like, you have the flu, but you just taking like a cough drop to try to like, oh, I just, I'm tired of coughing, but you're not, but you still got the flu. Like, you gotta deal with it. I like that point about uh, deprogramming. So, I mean, my next question is, where do you see like art role in sort of the next phase like the next phase of like deprogramming people's thoughts and then you know intentions and particularly and i don't know if you guys want to speak about your specific art that you guys are working on or just art in general like where do you think its role is in doing that before we move on i just right after marvin you just answered why now because it's work and when you're when you're living in a world when one lives in a world that everything is catered to them like the white cis man why would they bother, you know? Yeah. Because it that confrontation to go against everything that you've been taught that you are the chosen one, like why do the work? Just get all, I'll get all the things, get all the things. And that's why now, because it, it's like right the, at this moment, no one can hide from it, you know, it's everywhere. So back to your question, Dario, what do we do now? What do we do with our art? How do we continue the momentum, you know? Um, I'm just documenting it. That's all I got. Like I haven't processed it. I'm just documenting it. Okay. But that's that's what I can do. Like as yeah. an individual photographer. So I don't have anything else. Okay. <laughs> um, I think as human beings we tend to forget very fast, and uh, I think part of the artist's responsibility is to constantly remind <clears throat> the public, the audience that certain issues are not being solved and are not going to be solved if we throw them under the carpet and we have to confront them daily as uh, Marvin said. Hmm. Else, Therese, you got any ideas? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, art is, art is interesting. Um, art, artists create, create culture and create waves without trying because they just create because they must and then like what they make catches on and then that becomes status quo so it's like i think i think right now it's just the people who are going to be the most creative in terms of trying to figure out this thing like you know institutions that are creating an entire new group of people, you know, that, that meet together to maybe oversee specific, uh, you know, 
um, elements of their business that pertain to diversity and people of color and programming integration so that it's not just black art on in February or on Juneteenth. Oh, actually, Juneteenth's coming up. We didn't mention that, but, um, <laughs> um, you know, things like, uh, I mean, Juneteenth should be uh, recognized nationally as a national holiday. You know, things like that could be like major change. And I think, you know, artists, you know, putting voices out for things like that might be um, interesting. But it's hard to say like what the next step is per se, except as individuals, like Vitika was saying, we can all look at ourselves and see what we can contribute um, ourselves, you know, is that, is that, um, you know, developing yeah. my ideas and, and putting forth an effort like like the project um, Black Fathers Matter that I came up with because I feel like a lot of people respond to positive images that I really wanted to create right now because they were seeing so many fucked up images of uh, you know George Floyd and just like people black bodies black death and like um that sort of like promotes your worth. Like the more you see bodies that look like you that aren't alive and it just like casting through a screen and being the dialogue and, and you know, you seen the cops have to be like, uh, there has to be an international outcry for a trickle in effect of justice. Um, you know, those things, I think, I think that these conversations are allowing, like Ventico said, everyone to, sort of be a little bit more aware the white man has to you know he's forced to listen to us he's like he has to eavesdrop on the hard conversations people are having about him you know like he can't just laugh it off now like he has to go outside so you know he has to look these people in the face and 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 understand why they're looking at him like that so like um i don't know i think we're just gonna keep on doing our things and uh you know just trying to reach more people and try not to silence others, you know, try to listen and try to share. I think, um, I think because we're in a, I mean, now we, we're in a time where like, there's a new podcast popping up every week. There's a news like type of media coming out every week. Um, I think, there is more of an awareness of the power of visuals and the power of imagery on a consciousness of a society. And I think that as artists, musicians, designers, dancers, what have you, performance artists, I think that a shift in the focus um, away from trying to climb up a lot of the traditional ladders that we've been you know, taught to put on a pedestal and more so, so for those of us who've been doing the work and others to like continue to, to push stories, new stories to the forefront, to continue to push um, work that
work that's human, I think. And, 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 and it's wild to say that that's revolutionary, but because of how fucked up of a society that we live in, it's revolutionary to just make work that's human. Like, and I think the more we can flood the airways and flood the galleries and flood the streets, so to speak, with imagery and voices um, of people who've been quiet and people have been silenced for so long. Um, I think that you can start to help to create like a, a, a different a different dynamic and a real shift in terms of not in a matter of like trying to convince others somebody else of our humanity, but in some way of like existing fully in our humanity no matter what the fuck happens like regardless of expectation and i know it's hard because jobs i know it's hard because the art world it doesn't have like doesn't give any health care for anybody whether it's educators whether it's like art handlers whether it's framers whatever have you studio assistants anything and and a lot of us do those jobs and then also have art practices um and a lot of times you can't make a livable wage on one of those jobs and, and, and have an art practice and you have to kind of cobble together a bunch of different things. But our voices are important and they have to be protected and they need to be championed. And I don't know specifically how that looks. I don't know what the art world looks like in 10 years, 15 years, but if anything, we have to get louder. And I think the work has to become, um, more unapologetically human and not in a way of shying away from the full complexity, oftentimes grotesque, maybe contradictory nature of what it means to be human and to do that dance in front of everybody without expectations of like, gallery representation or anything or all of that other bullshit like you just have to it's it's being i think we i think that i think that's a step in the right direction great all right uh open up to some questions we got a really good one here uh from Venice keys you know anybody can answer this uh artists define the last major political movements in this country with the black arts movement and black power movements on a global scale what are the identified characteristics of today's era of political art? Thanks, E. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Ventico has a, yeah, I'm new Ventico. Ventico is muted. Thank you. Did you just say Banksy? Yes. <laughs> That's what I wanted to be unmuted for, just to confirm that. <laughs> you know, if it's okay, I just wanted to um, answer personally the 
last part of the three-part question, the last question, if okay. that's okay. Should Black um, artists and artists of color be in the front lines of naming the error and documenting it? That's what I wanted to refer to, the last section, the last, the last two words, documenting it. Okay. Just because that relates directly to my personal experience with documenting the protest. I've actually um, made a big focus on uh, documenting the photographers, documenting the scene and just showing, like personally, I'm not publishing them anywhere, whatever, maybe on my Instagram, but then if it's faces and I'm like, I don't want to put them out there and then the government and all the things. Um, but I really, it's, like you can visually see when you look at the images, you can see the, how the narrative is shifting. The amount of photographers that are black, like all men, um, is like, it's half and half, which is awesome. I would like to see more women up there. So yes, I definitely, I definitely think that the, um, all the control should be completely shifted. Like it should just like, it should be shifted. And then by continuing that, then we actually can see as, the the masses we actually can see the entirety of the story no longer are the people controlling the narrative the press the white press like all of that we actually can see a shift in perspective which will further enhance everyone's understanding of the human experience right and then if we can continually i know this is so naive but i think that it, there's really power in this just shifting the tools of power like you like you have I, I was so great to see people with like all these different cameras and some of them have film which is really really exciting like this turn back to film Ugh, it's just so inspiring you know because it's like before it's like watching the same thing over and over again like marvin the books with all the leaders and all the gatekeepers they're all white they're mostly men like it's so boring enough already i don't know about you all but like i don't really get that much going to a museum seeing the same thing over and over again yeah i got it next it's very limiting to the full understanding of the human experience. I just wanted to say that. Oh yeah, good point. Um, I, I, I think that I some, one of us should offer um, Venice like a genuine um, answer to that. What is political movements uh, in this country? Uh, what, is the, what, what are the identified characteristics of today's era of political art? Um, the reason I said Banksy is because, you know, um, at least originally, there was this attempt not to have any credit for it, right? Not to be known for it and there to be no really real provenance of the art, you know, which is kind of um, what the art world works off of, right? Because in 50 years, that Warhol isn't going to be worth any less. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. No, I don't. I don't know that all of a sudden um, white investors are going to want to invest in black art, and if they are, it's only because they want to make a return on it. You know. Hmm. So, so the uh, authentic political art in this era, I think it doesn't have a face, um, but um, everything else hopefully is discursive. You know, like hopefully it, everything else is not about um, certain positions and postulations and it's more about a dialogue. Um, and that 
um, artistic practices and works of that kind that inspire people to talk about these things and rework their ideas of how they formulate identity or whatever conceptions. I did. I mean, I do have a question. Like, what do you guys feel? Like, what do you guys think about Banksy uh, in particular? Because, like, you threw it out jokingly, but to a layman, like somebody who's not really well informed about art, he is kind of the guy that they point towards when it comes to like political and social kind of art at the moment. I don't really think about him at all. To be honest, <laughs> like he's, he's like a, it's a that's a joke move from the from the art world. To be real, like it's it's a it is a um, like Banksy probably has an MFA from somewhere. And Banksy is has is has a lot of art world ties and it's positioned and um it's an illusion. It's an illusion of like counter kind of uh counter cultural very like outsider but it's 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 really rooted in a lot of um the tropes of quote unquote political art in the in the art world. Like I so I don't I don't really think about Banksy at all. Um uh, okay. <laughs> go ahead, George. It it with Banksy, it seems that what he's doing is political art, but in reality is an iconography of political art. Mm -hmm. And it seems like he's underground, but, and that he's like, we don't know who he is, but there are galleries that represent him and sell his graffiti at art fairs. So it's, uh, it's an interesting persona, but I think when we talk with, about political art, it has to be something deeper than just creating iconography. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's mm -hmm. like, I mean, he's like the, like a Black Lives Matter Starbucks shirt. That's what, that's what, that's right. what, he, which is what they're actually, Starbucks is actually. The logo and everything. Like the logo <laughs> gotta be on the front too. Right? <laughs> yeah. oh, gotta be um, I think, I think, um, I think political art kind of, to me, when I think about art, I'm not thinking about the discipline of the fine art world. I'm just thinking about like creative output across. And I think, um, because of the politics of um, the societies that we operate in, a lot of these like westernized cultures, um, a lot of things that, again, are just human expressions end up becoming political. So Misty Copeland is political. <laughs> of just who she is. Like yeah. LeBron James is political. I mean, he says stuff, but even if he didn't do anything and shut up and dribble as I ain't gonna mention her name, whatever he said, even if he didn't do anything, he is political. Um, Stephen A. Smith, even, you know. Well, he'd be on some wild stuff sometimes. I would He's say, so political. Um, <laughs> like, like Rhapsody in, in Rhapsody and her music. Like, this mm -hmm. is, that's like political art. I think like Kendrick and his music, I think a lot of, I think this era Beyonce, Right, like this era, Beyonce, uh -huh. um, um, is is political. So I'm thinking um, to answer a question. I think that the, the 
identifying characteristics, I think, of today's political era, um, it's, it's about an unapologetic expression of one's humanity in spaces that have historically tried to silence that voice historically didn't didn't respect identify or larger humanity and i think that like colin kaepernick for instance in the nfl like him just kneeling in a protest that's seen as a political act that's him feeling the reality of what's going on in 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 his country right like these are all um Like the Williams sisters, like I mean, intended. I mean, I'm just like we talk about like like things about like the cat suit. Like, why is that even a thing? Um, the act of being human in these spaces is political. The characteristics right now is is being unapologetically yourself because a lot of times that shit can get you killed. That's mm -hmm. what political art is in this era, and we have more technology now to be able to like spread these voices across the globe. And um, I mean, shit, the president of the United States is, is like, is like, is, is, is on some wild shit every day, every damn day. He's just on some like next level, next level stuff. But the, but the funny thing about it, the underlying root is like, Trump is just a regular white dude. Like, there's actually nothing extraordinary about the way he's acting. He's nothing, he's like, he's just a, a symptom of the country. Um, and for so long, like, white men have been, have had the, and white people in general have had the room and the free reign to be able to unapologetically exist as themselves in, in this space without, without company. So now you got to make room. And we've been asking them for you to make room. And now we're going to tell you that you need to make room. We're going to make you make room because and, and it's not just make room so I can like stand in the corner, but I want to dance on the floor also. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to run around here also. And yes, it's dangerous because we live in a place where people can't, won't allow you and don't want you to be human. But that's, I think, a real characteristic of, of, of I guess today's era of political art is like, it's like an unapologetic expression of humanity. Mm. Mm. Like that. This is last question. Um, does it make a difference to have more established groups like Spiral, Where We Are, Art, Inc., or Afro Cobra? Mm. I mean, it's definitely good to group up in different ways, but I guess you gotta, I don't, I'm not particularly familiar with these groups, so I don't know, but um, 
I think it's still important to join organizations that you believe in that will help guide your energy and passion in a productive way. But I, I wanted to say earlier that I don't think it's any one way. Like um, a lot of people are going about this in different in different ways. And I think there's room for everybody's voice um, and style. Um, and like Marvin said, I agree very much so that you just be kind of unapologetically yourself and um, and, uh, and this is such a new territory for a lot of um, artists of color and black artists, I think, because we, because I felt reprimanded in the past for doing that um, or misunderstood or just seemed to be irrelevant. Um, and I find myself in the past two years just creating things that creating things that explain my own cultural complexities in my own world and not ha not have to defend myself as much or my country or my culture or not have to defend my humanity as much you know but like that that this is me I, I I finally feel empowered enough I finally feel like I have enough power to do this and but I'm still figuring it out I guess as I go on what what it exactly will look like I don't know yet All right. Um, yeah, so I think, I think, like I said, this is a great time, you know, to use your voice and your own agency, especially as an artist to kind of, you know, express yourself fully, because I think the whole world is kind of watching and listening and then anticipating, like, what's the next phase. And I definitely think art and protest art and artists like you guys are going to be a big part of that next step and that next push towards, you know, hopefully uh, more, e more equality and better changes that, you know, that people are des desperately like hoping for. Um, but before we kind of get out of here, I don't know if you guys are working on anything, you know, people should be looking out for anything that you already have out there. If you guys want to kind of let people know about that, uh, Darish, you go first, because obviously we have our digital stuff. Yeah, so, you know, everybody watching, um, Living Life Fearless, uh, and I have collaborated on my first digital show, and we have merch. Um, Dario's wearing a shirt, I'm wearing a shirt. Uh, Sarah's actually got one on, too. And, um, yeah, there's prints available. Um, and proceeds from the show um, go to Back to the Artist, actually. 15% of the proceeds are being donated to the artist relief fund and that's something i started that we wanted to do before the opening of the, the digital exhibition um but then as the quarantine went on um more fucked up shit happened and uh george floyd passed so um in honor of the protesting um we've offered the george floyd code um for any of my Black Fathers Matter um, merch, and that'll give you a discount plus um, direct contribution to Black organized um, nonprofits. Uh, so yeah, that's at livinglifefearless.com, and um, just follow me on Instagram to keep up with whatever other stuff I got going on. Yeah. 
right. Anybody else want to just talk about anything there going yeah, on? Or? We started just one at a time, just outro. <laughs> No. All right. Well, we will have uh, links and social, like we'll have all your info in the description. We'll have links to certain things. Um, but thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for everybody who kind of jumped in the chat and asked questions and just watched and just kind of participated. We really appreciate that. Uh, thank you guys, all the artists for joining us in this artist round table, our first one, you know, still working out the cakes, but I think it went pretty well. I had a lot of great, uh, input from you guys and uh, you know hopefully we'll do something like this again yeah thank you, thank you all thanks Dario thanks Dario thanks Dario thanks Therese thanks Bye. Marvin thanks everybody Bye. for coming thanks, guys thank you. Thank you. yeah all the guests thank you everyone that came to watch thank you yep. thank you Bye. thanks bye <laughs> <laughs>